Hey, welcome to another ap- episode of Jack Theology. Uh, my name is Matt, and I'm joined by Kevin Young. Kevin and I have an ed- interest in discussing different Jack theologies out there, and even our own Jack theology. And we also like to get jacked. So I thought we'd start today just talking about where we're at on uh, getting our bodies jacked and healthy. Um, so Kevin, what have you been up to lately? Yeah, I have. Uh, I've actually been deloading a little bit uh, over the summer. I went a little too heavy, and I over exceeded my capacity, and so I uh, had a little arm injury and a little neck deal. So have been deloading, and it's so hard to do to like lower that bar because uh, you're like, man, I know I can lift more than this, but um, it's yeah. good. It's also nice to. <laughs> it's also nice to be able to do a full range of motion as well. So yeah, that's where I am. Cool. Yeah, I uh, I started back up at our CrossFit gym, local CrossFit box, get my cardio back up. Uh, but I noticed I did some a lot of bat- bodybuilding, powerlifting over the last year, and got a lot stronger. But I had that moment yesterday, so we were doing our strength portion, and I was doing pretty well. Like I had outlifted everybody in my class uh, pretty significantly but I knew that I had to get to a certain number to be number one for the whole gym. And so I did the lift before that lift. And it, so I was, we were doing strict press three reps and I did 145, and, and 160 is where I needed to get to. So I was like, I'll do 145, and then I'll do one, I'll do tens on each side and, and crush everybody. And, uh, so I did the 145, and on the third rep, I felt a little, little, a little tweak in the shoulder. It felt, it felt, it felt good going up, like I could have gone to 160. But I thought about that, Kevin. I was like, you know what? Winning my class today, I'll just stop there. I do not want to not be able to lift, you know, and work out the rest of the next couple of weeks. So I uh, listened to my old man, uh, Birdie, on, on this shoulder not the young man birdie on the other shoulder, but I did have a little battle there. <laughs> so, yeah, I, uh, I, I, uh, one of the things you learn, I guess, is, um, when the, <laughs> when enough is enough. Uh, I wish, I wish in the realm of theology, people would learn that as well. Uh, when enough is enough, you know, when to, when to just stop, cut your losses and move on. Yeah. Yeah. Some people dig themselves a hole for sure. Uh, yeah, we've we've all we've all been there, not only in fitness and but in discussions. Yeah, no, so yeah, there's I, been a lot. I, 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 we've seen a lot of that the last week, haven't we? At the yeah, yeah. I was gonna say there's been a lot going on with that. Um, maybe people speaking too much or too little. Um, so a few things this week we could we could dive into um, that people have been talking about. We've been talking about. I think we want to maybe try to hit on. Uh, both of those things one would be the whole matt chandler um you know stepping down for uh, inappropriate frequent and uh familiar text with a woman who is not his his spouse um so yeah but what i mean they didn't even it was a whole bunch of nothing burger in what they told us at least like completely opened up a can of worms but said you can't see inside it was like what were they yeah. thinking 
I mean, on the we, surface, we have these texts. There's nothing wrong with any of these texts, but you're still going on a leave of absence. Like it just, yeah, it didn't, it didn't pass the smell test. No, I think especially for those of us that have led in churches and been a part of those deals, uh, we we kind of, it's almost like they're playing us as idiots. Uh, but I but I will tell you that I talked to a few folks that aren't in leadership and ministry, never have been, just you know, lay worshipers who you know and have and know who Matt Chandler is and have been following along. And it's interesting to hear their perspective. They actually are buying a lot of what is being sold by the Village Church, which I thought I found fascinating. How so? Uh, what what they believe what? Uh. They, they believe at the surface that they're just holding Matt to a higher standard than 99.9% of the world that, that he just was talking. He shouldn't have been texting a woman that wasn't his wife. And that, you know, what we see on the surface is what they think actually happened. Um, whereas the conversations I've had is, is, and I, I think this is true. And this, there's been some talk on the Twitter verse about this. And I agree like that. Well, should that actually be a punishable offense? Just being, friends with another woman that's not your wife um yeah no i think i think you make a really good point you know matt chandler is obviously a pastor a pastor of a very large and influential church and network the x29 church planning network in um flower mound denton texas outside of dallas and um obviously some texts you know situation that had, that had gone on that's about all that we know is some other woman who wasn't his wife the story is his wife knew what was going on and her husband knew what was going on but he still gets a leave of absence and it's getting drugged through the mud in the court of public opinion and I, I somebody is this is a 101 course in how not to handle a situation like this publicly because by not telling anything other than matt didn't do anything wrong somebody is in the fault here either they are lying to us about what was actually in the text and how bad it was or matt really was overpunished for for what he was for what actually yeah. happened in, in in my opinion but somebody somebody here is um somebody here's in the wrong and it's fascinating that the sounds like the church folks that you are connected to think Matt's in the wrong. They automatically jump to it was a, an abuse situation uh, where Matt took advantage of somebody. But the people who aren't connected to church um, think yeah, that church he, he should be. I think, I think church leaders, those of us that have been down this road, maybe even written statements, we kind of know that there's more going on. We kind of assume that there's more going on, I guess. We don't know for sure. But yeah, those that are just attend church regularly you know, who haven't been part of those conversations over the years, you know, see it a little differently. Um, so I, yeah, I think, yeah, why, where I'm stuck is why take him through this public shaming and they knew that this would happen. Like they're not dumb. They know the influence they have. They know uh, the following that they have. And so I'm taking this step of making him go on stage and, take a leave of absence and all these things like if it was just like a friendly text that you know he texted this woman a lot and that and they don't want him to do that that then you could handle that behind closed doors and and kind of move on um you know give him a a month 
vacation to go whatever deal with it and however they want them to deal with it or put them through um, a personal improvement plan as they use in the corporate world. Um, but the public nature of this like leads me strongly to believe that and the fact that they won't release the text messages like, well, if it's nothing, then then show us that it's nothing, uh, I think would be simple. And their excuse to that is, well, we got to protect the, the woman. Well, we all have black Sharpies. Uh, we've seen it a lot lately with the Trump stuff going on, right? Like, it's a not that hard. A little bit of redaction going on. Not that hard to do. Uh, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Yeah, the problem, <sighs> the toxic theologies, you know, how much of this situation is driven by, and you hinted at this, how much of this is driven by the theology uh, of how so many Christian theologies relate to women and the relationship between women and men. You know, there's a lot of talk about the Billy Graham rule, you know, the man should never be alone with another woman in any situation that's that's not his wife, you know, especially if if you're a pastor. And there are a lot of people on both sides of, of that argument. But where you fall on the relationship between women and men theologically determines a lot of about how you handle this. And so maybe you're right because there is such a hard line in the, the theologies of Matt's stream about women and men and their roles and what's appropriate and what isn't appropriate. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe it was a lot of nothing sauce, of, but to them and their theology, it was a, a big deal. I don't, I don't know. I mean, how do you think the theologies play into all of this? Yeah, I think it definitely plays into it. Um, they, you know, I, well, I don't know what to necessarily believe, but yes, the, the Billy Graham rule, I think is coming into play here. And I, I did some, I had some conversations with some, some women who used to serve with me on staff, um, in a kind of a, a ministry lead kind of role. Like they were heading up different ministries. It wasn't like, you know, office staff or things, but people, so and compared to men. So like there was guys that I would take out to lunch because I was allowed to do that and talk about their ministry role, talk about their leadership. Whereas with women that I have to meet with them more of it in a general like staff type environment. I couldn't take them out for coffee. I couldn't take them out for lunch. And so I asked them recently because of this Chandler thing, like if, if they felt left out, if they felt like they were second class citizens and unequivocally they said, yes. <laughs> uh, and so I think- wow. We in in corporate world and in other non world you know non church world church or church worlds that don't have this kind of theology, it's pretty normal for a platonic relationship between a man or, and a woman outside of their spousal relationship to have collegial conversations around their work. Um, it's pretty normative, and so I think that the theology definitely plays into this. Uh, probably raise the spidey senses more. And honestly, probably speculating here, but probably because Matt didn't feel like he could be open and honest about having a friendship with someone, maybe probably would drive you when you're in the darkness and things are in the dark, stay and do things that maybe you wouldn't have done otherwise had that been able to be a more open, honest relationship in public eye. Um, I've seen that. I, I've served on... Uh, boards 
in this kind of world where guys have failed morally. Um, and I think the secrecy knowing that they can't like have a friendship out in public with someone of the opposite sex has kind of like led to acting and, and, and kind of over-sexualizing the relationship because it's like, well, you can't be friends with that person. Cause if you do, then you might have sex with them. And then in the end, that's what ends up happening with some, some folks. And so, um, I think it is a problem. Um, you know, we over-sexualize relationships between the opposite sex. And somebody brought up this point too, is, um, another, another point, like, well, would Matt be being punished if he had these same conversations with a man? Um, uh, why does it have to be, um, just a woman, right? Like could, uh, you know, we, we, we so throw out the, the, in this evangelical world, the homosexual homosexuality, like uh, stuff that, well, if we're going to oversensitize to sexuality with a man and woman, why don't we do the same with men to men? You know, why is it? Yeah. There is, yeah. There seems to be a double standard. And as you say, there is an objectification of women where they are objects um, of, of lust for men, I think is the kind of, mental image you know that's portrayed in the evangelical church and that men have a complete and utter inability to be friends with the opposite sex uh that, that they're just lust driven maniacs and you're right there's also a, a a double standard you know over the relationships with women and the relationships with men which as you say doesn't even begin to get into the whole thing that <laughs> uh the world isn't binary necessarily, you know, not, not everybody is on 100% opposite, you know, sides of, of this with spectrum. Yeah. Um, and then I, I, I want to talk about the announcement some too. Um, oh, it was, just, a, yeah. <laughs> was uh, <laughs> I, I'm trying to think of a word that uh, won't get censored uh, to use for it. It was awful. <laughs> it was, it was self-serving. It was, maddening I, I maybe you had a total maybe you walked away with a totally different uh perspective on the announcement but like it's a one-on-one course and how not to go public with a situation uh, like that from beginning to end it was so it was so awful it's like it's the old it acts 29 like i was part of that full disclosure i was I, I was part of acts 29 i was part of that culture uh i met matt I know you you worked with Matt in multiplications, but yeah, like, yeah, we were on the same staff for a while. Yeah, and and so I had situations like this where I had to address staff discipline issues, and I had to address the things publicly. And so I got advice from Matt, my X twenty nine leaders, and what they did is what they told me to do. So they're they're the culture of Acts 29 and how to handle these sorts of things uh, we saw very much on display with this announcement. And I remember as a young pastor getting this advice and I did it their way once and just the vagueness and not addressing all the details. And it just completely backfired like it is now for them. Um, and I just remember thinking, I'm never doing it that way again. Like, why do we feel like we have to hide? Like, shouldn't we posture ourselves? And so what they told me when I pushed back on this was, well, we have to protect the organization. Um, and so it's always organization above 
uh, people. And I didn't like that. I was like, we're the church. We're a family. We should talk as a family would talk. We should have uh, honest and open, authentic communications. And, you know, and so I think the vagueness of, of church announcements like this really bother me. Uh, you know, it, also the, well, so-and-so is, is, has chosen to leave, you know, that kind of stuff too. It's when really so-and-so has not chosen to leave. They, uh, we've asked them to leave. Like, um, those kind of things run me the wrong way because then we play, we we're inauthentic. We are in some sense lying to people and then, um, and people see right through it. Like people are not idiots. And so yeah. we think no, I think you hit right there on one of the biggest problems in the, this situation and in the church today. Uh, it, the organization is seen as being a person and being the most important person to protect. Uh, and so everything, everything is on the table and everything is okay in order to protect the organization because the organization does good. The organization is God ordained. The organization uh, can't fail because the gates of hell or whatever, you know, shall not prevail against the organization. And so uh, it doesn't matter who gets hurt or, or what gets said, as long as at the end of the day, the organization comes out on top. And it's it's not only bad theology, I think it's also, it's bad humanity. It's wrong. And yeah, culture, yeah. I think now sees that in the broader world and also in the church. Yeah. And, you know, and then never have the guy being punished speak at his punishment announcement. <laughs> um, We've seen this multiple times um, recently. I forget the, the gentleman, I think he was in Texas, made an announcement about stepping away because of sexual promiscuity. And, you know, he gets a standing ovation. And then, of course, Matt Chandler does the same thing. It's a standing ovation. And, and in all the cases I've ever seen, there's no remorse, right? There was no remorse from Chandler. I mean, he's trying to explain it away like, I really did nothing wrong. If you're not a believer, you'd be like, what the heck is he, you know, I think he even said, what the H uh, is this? Uh, so yeah, I, I no, think, I'm sorry, no, no repentance, no, no remorse. Uh, in fact, quite the opposite. I'm going to be your pastor for the next 20 years. Um, it's know, defiant. A, yeah. A line, a line in the sand. Yeah. Defiance, um, a victim and a yeah, way mentality. You know, yeah. he said, in a way, you know, he, he said, if I remember correctly, you know, the elders were right in what they did, but I don't recall him ever saying I was wrong in, in what I did. No. Maybe, maybe he hinted at it, but he, he said, I got to go deal with whatever that is. Like you, you can't repent of something. You're, you're not even willing to like say what it is, like what I did, you know? Well, let's be honest. This all happened. What? Like February, like last year, like we're, like at least six months in from the moment where it was brought to his attention by the other party. If you don't know what it is after six months, after eight months, after nine months, it's, it's not because you haven't had enough time. It's because there's something inside of you that isn't facing whatever, whatever, whatever's going on truthfully. Yeah. Yeah. Complete denial. And they shouldn't have put him through that because so now, you know, you got, 
and we've done it. We're doing it now, like Twitter world, evaluating it and not seeing it as, as, as a good thing. And so I think that was poor, that was a poor decision on their part uh, to, to have him up there for that announcement. Um, if he wanted to release a statement, written statement that got vetted, that might've been a, a different story, but yeah. Um, That's manipulation. Yeah. Total manipulation. It's, it's, it's manipulation of the story and it's manipulation of the congregation. Um, frankly, and intentionally or not, it, it is what it is. You know, it was, yeah. it was intended, it was intended to manipulate. It was intended to manipulate the situation um, and the feelings of the people who were in the room. And uh, it succeeded for many, I think of their constituency but not the rest of the world. And I think they were surprised by that. Yeah. They, they limited access to their, to the video. They pulled the they clip down, right? Yeah. Well, they, they pulled it. So you can't share it on your own site. It, it can only be watched through their site. Uh, so people, you know, writing blogs and articles when they link the video, it wouldn't show up for them. Um, and why? Yeah. And it happened after the fact, like, so. Yeah, you know, I've gone through several crisis communication situations. Um, the first question, if Matt was working with somebody who goes through crisis communication situations, the first question they would have asked Matt was, uh, we need to know before we make any decisions about how to handle this, did you do anything moral, illegal, Im immoral, illegal, or unethical? You know, we can get you through any of this, but did you do anything immoral, illegal, or unethical? And uh, I think on the basis of how Matt responded and how the church responded so badly to this, the answer to one or more of those was yes. There was something immoral, illegal, and unethical uh, that went on. We don't know what it was or whether it really was, but they felt as though it was. But unfortunately because the answer to one of those is, was apparently yes in their minds, they did not appropriately handle it in the way that you appropriately handle it when the answer to one of those things was yes. If the answer to all three of those things was no, they would have handled it in a certain way. And if the answer is yes, they would have handled it in a certain way. But there, something, something went on somewhere in their yeah. minds. And uh, rather than face it and, and deal with it, they, I think they chose the easy way out and it shows. Yeah. It's clear. Uh, yeah. It's clear to all, a lot of people <laughs> that there's something else going on, something we don't know. They don't want us to know, but in the end, hopefully that he, uh, he gets help. He needs, he, um, yeah. He gets, and I think that's probably the, that's the, to me, Matt, that's the, the saddest part is is whatever woman or women, you know, I think who are the other women in this, even if nothing went on, the shame and the guilt and being run through all of this, uh, even anonymously, I, I the weight of that has to be uh, the worst. Second only to that, I think um, Matt knows what went on and Matt knows the truth of this and that if whatever went on is the only thing or if there's more and my sense is and i know you deal with a lot of people who walk through heavy things and 
guilt and shame and sin and things that they've done wrong and how they respond to it really tells where their heart is and whether or not there's more. Matt uniquely responded very badly publicly to this, which the world sees that there is implication of truth somewhere in here of the worst case scenario and that there's probably more. Yeah. Uh, Matt know Matt knows the truth, but the way Matt handled it um, just said to everybody, whether it's truthful or not, what it communicated to everybody was uh, there's more and I'm not being, I'm not being transparent here. Well, yeah, and that's, I, that's, that's sad. That's sad for the church. That's sad for he and his yeah. family. Um, that's sad for, for all involved. Frankly, they should have kept their mouth shut until they could do it well or where Matt was in a place, I think, where it wasn't all about him. Yeah, you, you, and I, I haven't done this as much as some others, but I've done it more than, more than a couple. I've served on committees in our denomination where pastors are dealing with sexual sin and they only everyone I've been on and, and talking with others who've been on more and then reading about, you know, Baj, Baj, and I forget how you say their, their last name. Division. Yeah. Um, it's true. It's like the first thing they confess is what they really, they got caught with. Um, and honestly, Matt's confession looked identical to the ones I've seen as the first confession. It's just this denial, I'm not going to really truly repent and confess because I didn't do a lot, a lot wrong. I just did this thing, this little thing, and uh, it's not that bad. And that's typically what I've seen. And then you work with them over time. And, and and the hard part is, like, as pastors, pastoral leaders, and, and I know this for Matt, like, and this is where I feel for him as a – like, and why our, our culture in pastoring and in church is so messed up is, like, he knows if he's truly honest with everything, his whole kingdom he's built comes crumbling down. His family is going to suffer. Uh, his financial kingdom is done for, you know, his, his wife can't have all the nice things she has. His, his, his lifestyle is going to change dramatically. And so this is, I think, the war that a lot of pastors deal with is like, all right, I'm just going to own this and get through it. And then, and then I hopefully save my career and my job. Um, yeah. You know, no, and and eventually, this is where our theologies matter. Yeah, this is where yeah. our theologies matter about relationships and sex and purity and boundaries. Uh, and there is zero tolerance um, within much of our theologies for not crossing the line, obviously, not even getting close to the line. But, but not even being perceived. It just, whenever, um, whenever your theology is so puritanical about relationships, not just pastors, but about anybody in any relationships, uh, which I think the Billy Graham rule ends up in a lot of ways being a puritanical yeah. model. Um, it sets people up for just, there, there's no there's no there's no ability for uh for a person matter otherwise to even get up and say um i had a conversation you know with another woman there was nothing to it uh but i'm still being punished because uh i had a one-on-one -on -one conversation over social media with another woman now, i don't want to say that that's what happened but even as you said in the beginning if 
even if that's the only thing that ever happened, that still in, in that theology would have warranted, um, a really huge, a really huge reprimand. So there's no. Yeah. Yeah. And I think hopefully there's such a, there's such a dysfunctional, um, relationship between the sexes in, in some of our theologies, um, so highly complementarian, so highly role-based, uh, idolizing marriage above singleness, uh, idolizing family above uh, just a couple without children. There's, there's so much idolization and dysfunction, I think, in relationships in, in, in our theologies that it, it, it necessarily leads to greater and greater and greater dysfunction, not just for pastors, but for everybody. Yeah. I think, I think we, uh, I read today, somebody tweeted, um, you may read tweeted it, just this idea, Jesus didn't command me to love my religion. He commanded me to love my neighbor. So if what my religion says gets in the way of me loving my neighbor, um, then maybe, maybe that's not good religion. Uh, at least Christianity religion. And I think this plays here too, is like the attitude that some theologies have towards women is not very loving to our women neighbors or even those in our own household. And, and I think here it should not be lost on us that like likely this woman is, or women are, are going to be suffering and, and dealing with a lot more shame and guilt Eventually, let's be honest, no matter what comes out after uh, through all this, Matt Chandler is going to land on his feet somewhere um, and he's going to be fine and he's going to move on. And so then a lot of times what's left in the wake is, is, is these women um, dealing with whatever happened and they're not fine. Uh, they, they can't move on. And our theology is a standing ovation. Yeah. Our theologies ignore them. And uh, I think that's a shame and shouldn't be lost on us here. So, but I think eventually Matt will come if he goes through a process, if he does submit to a process, I think eventually he'll come to be honest with himself and not fear whatever the repercussions are and be honest with whoever he needs to be honest with. Cause it, he's definitely not right now. You could just, you can just see that, which is why they shouldn't have let him speak. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we'll see what happens. I'm sure we'll get more detail in the coming days. I think it's helpful for us, too, to have these things, to ask these questions, um, you know, in our own worlds. Like, how are we going to handle something like this? How are we going to deal with the Billy Graham rule? How are we going to deal with um, those dynamics? What is our theology dictating? Um, you know, Jesus had female friends that he spent time with. So I think alone. Yes. I think if Jesus is our model, we should look to him for how to have those appropriate platonic relationships um, in the church. My fax machine's going off. (laughs) 
So should we shift gears? What? They still make fax machines? Yeah, we have one. I don't know why it doesn't stop ringing. Not answering. <laughs> All right. Just deal with that, right? Oh, yeah. It's not going to stop. What are you going to do? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, Chandler kind of uh, <laughs> kind of shifted the focus from the government's debt forgiveness, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess, I guess Biden and uh, Biden and his team got a <laughs> got a welcome reprieve from the evangelical community uh, because of Matt Chandler. But uh, people were just as exercised, if not more exercised, about their money going to pay for somebody else's debt this week, right? Yeah, I I found it fascinating. Uh, so to me, I made a post on Facebook asking a question, are Christians really upset about debt forgiveness? And, and yes, I got, they are. <laughs> yeah, I got, From what I saw in the responses, uh, yeah. it is a very clear and unequivocal yes. They yes. are. We are. Why, why are why are we mad at debt forgiveness? I mean, because we are we're we're uh, <laughs> we're we Christians. Many of us are mad as hell. Like what? What? I don't. I, I was mean, in yeah. shock. I, I was in shock. I, I saw some posts from some pastor friends about the debt forgiveness thing, and I thought, are people really upset about this? Is it or is this like the Starbucks red cup thing? Remember oh, Starbucks yeah. red cup? Happy and holidays, really man. But really, no one was really mad about it. It was just kind of everybody was upset that everybody was mad, but no one was actually mad. I thought it was might have been one of those things, but clearly not. Um, clearly, I, I think I'm probably in the minority um, as a still have my toe in the water evangelicalism on seeing that as a, a good thing to, to forgive debt. Um, I, I think... Well, yeah, and I just... Like let's we know that Republicans and Democrats just disagree to be disagreeable, even if they agree, they're going to find a reason to disagree, and and a lot of people just are going to disagree with this debt forgiveness simply because it's a political thing, uh, you know, either at the economics of it or the timing of it or or who's receiving it or the amount of it. You know, so so you've got all of this like non-theological reasons for disliking this particular debt forgiveness. But what shocked me about it was whenever people began to make the logic, the, the leap in logic to Jesus would not want us to be for debt forgiveness and not just this particular debt forgiveness, but debt forgiveness in, in general. And so at that point, I'm like, are you listening to yourself? I, have you, do you even understand what the Bible teaches or do you just not care? Or do I not understand what the Bible teaches? <laughs> I know. I, I, thought for a minute, I know. I thought for a minute, maybe I didn't know what I was reading to be true. Uh, yeah. I think people, yeah. I, as I look through the thread, the number one argument against my question, I guess, 
everybody just assumed I believed in debt forgiveness <laughs> by my question, but I, I was all political in nature. The, the responses were all like, well, do we get, forgive all debt? And then it was, uh, you know, basically Republican talking points and, and, and I was just fascinated by that. I was like, so we'd rather go to our Republican talking points um, over and above the scriptures and not really deal with the scriptures. <laughs> and so the, this morning, there were, the, the thread's still alive and well. So if you're watching this, it's probably still going in my feed. And oh, you can jump in. I had, to, I, I had to tap out for a while. But this morning, a lady was like, are you, are you for like helping the homeless and paying off people's mortgages and their car loan, their defaulted car loans. And I'm saying like, well, yeah, like, yeah, I am. Yeah. And I, I give my money to that and we give our money from the church here for stuff like that. And yeah, I'm all for, I'm all for it. I mean, I think that's what Jesus has called us to do. Um, I think it's pretty clear in the scriptures uh, that we're called to do that. I, I think so as I've really dialogued about this, if I could boil it down, I'm, I'm trying to figure, I was trying to really figure out like what is going on here. And I think at the heart of it all, like to simplify it is we have uh, a view of the gospel that I think is, is disjointed. Uh, we don't have like a holistic view of, of the, the gospel. When I say the gospel, I mean what Jesus did for us and what he's called us to do and kind of his life. Um, so, yeah, I mean, well, growing up, the gospel for yeah. me was, you know, pray a prayer, accept Jesus into your heart, believe in the death, burial and resurrection. And that, that was the gospel. The gospel was, was ascent was belief in a very narrow, but clear and defined doctrine. That was, that was a gospel, the gospel being a, a word for good news. That was, that was it. And that was the gospel. Anytime yeah. anybody used that word. Yeah. That's the God. I mean, I think that's the gospel. A lot of us grew up with, I think that's, that's a simple way to do it. It's like, so there's this one side of the gospel. That's like our get out of hell free card. Like we pray the prayer, we do the thing, you know, and, and we're good to go. That's and that's done. I've, I've, I've done the gospel. I've done it. Right. And then how I live my life and how I interact in the world, that's going to be dictated to me in other ways from other sources. Like, yeah, that's not the gospel, right? That's good works. Yeah. Yeah. But you're Catholic. That's very Catholic, right? Yeah. Um, it can't do. Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, you're, there was a fear that I saw of debt forgiveness being seen as good works. And by saying that, not believing in debt forgiveness of any kind uh, was equal to the gospel. A lot of people, I think, like you say, were, were, were offended doctrinally and theologically in, in calling an action or a practice like forgiveness of debt as being the gospel. Yeah. Well, so I like Matthew Bates. He, I don't know if you read his book on the gospel. He's written like three now, but he, his original one was called salvation by allegiance alone. And then he wrote uh, a book. I forget <laughs> gospel something, but Matthew Bates, he has three books. Got it. And, um, 
but he talks about the gospel proper. So the gospel proper, the way he breaks it down is essentially the, the apostles creed. Um, you know, what Jesus is, did, what Jesus did here on earth uh, to save us from our sins. Right. And then there's the gospel purpose, which is how we're, we're called to live our lives, which you could really open up Paul's letters uh, and got, and Paul constantly has this rhythm of gospel, uh, the gospel power, and then the gospel purpose, right? He, he'll, he'll, he'll share the gospel power and then he'll share what that looks like for your life. Uh, and so I think we've lost as, as a, as a church, broader church community, this ability, uh, to see that the gospel not only has the power to save us, but also it saves us for a purpose, uh, to live our lives. Jesus he launched a revolution here on earth of how to live differently. That, like he didn't get murdered because he was preaching uh, salvation from your sins. He was getting murdered because he was starting a new way of living, a new world order, a new, a new politic uh, that, that, is diff- that was different than what hit the Israelites and, and, and the people of those time were currently living under. And so the, and, and so the gospels are filled with it what Jesus did and how he lived his life. I mean, we, we see it all over the place. Um, so I, I think that's important to understand. And so where we get skewed too is, uh, you know, I think the, the resistance, we just look at the gospel purpose, then it does become like a works based salvation as we, you know, we, we just, if I just do these set, set of things and I'm saved and I'm good to go, uh, which some people like throw on the Catholics, but I don't think it's just Catholics. I think it could be any, I've seen it in all sorts of denominations, right? Um, that could get skewed too. But if you're just focused on the gospel power, then, then all of a sudden you're, you're, you're going to be influenced by so many other outside sources for how to live your life. And you're not going to use Jesus as your lens for how to live your life and how to politic in the world, you know, to set up and establish a, a way of living. And so I think it's important to hold, both in balance, like our professor used to talk about two sides of the same coin, right? It's, it, and so I, I think these are two sides of the same coin of the gospel. We have our pa- the power to save and then the purpose of which we're called to live. So you end up having fundamentalists on each side. You have fundamentalists who only it's the, the power and the theology of it. And you've got people, fundamentalists on the other side, it's only the, the justice it's only the good works uh, who don't have the other, but really the, where the good news is, is where those two things meet. Yes. Yes. I mean, what, what is the point of the gospel? If it's not good news for me today, that's a get out of hell free card, right? Yeah. You know, like, how does <laughs> it that, is, that then and there, you know, sweet Beulah land on, on the, on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, isn't that what Jesus taught, though? I mean, whenever you really read what Jesus taught and you 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 take into account the things that he said about life after and life in the here and now, um, the, the the theology, everything, almost everything, if not everything that Jesus taught was about the kingdom, the kingdom now, the kingdom in the present and how that impacts. And the parables they told were, were always about... Yeah. God's heart and ideals and values being lived out in the here and now and how that radically changed outcomes, not just in the present, 
but radically changed outcomes in the future. It's like, you know, growing up, radically changed their outcome in the future by getting them out of, you know, hell and whatever happens today doesn't matter because it's all about them. But, you know, Jesus seemed to teach radically change their world now using my values and that will have an impact as well on the power of the gospel their heart in the future yeah yeah i mean i don't... so you're telling me i have to forgive <laughs> yeah. yeah forgive and and uh i think too is like we our our culture is so focused on like the future and one day I'll be in heaven and I don't want to be in hell. And, and Jesus really wasn't talking about that. Like the, the, uh, the Israelite people didn't have that concept like we do today. Um, and so everything in theology for them was about the here and the now. And Jesus was like telling them you're forgiven. So you don't have to, like, I'm, I'm doing the things that you thought you had to do. Like I am, being this that's a sacrifice i'm taking upon myself the sin you no longer have i'm the the last pasco lamb i you no longer have to go to to temple to to slaughter a lamb because i am being the lamb that's going to be slaughtered so you are now free to live your life <laughs> to live in these ways uh and so the forgiveness of sins was a, it was a freedom the weight's off our shoulders i no longer have to sulk and and do all of these things, these rituals, because Christ has done them for me. And now I can live freely into this new world order and love people, forgive people, to pay their debt. I mean, the Acts 2 church provided for everyone who had need. People were selling their property to financially cover debts, right? Ananias and Sapphira were struck down and killed because they lied about how much money they had. That, that was supposed to go to paying off debts, right? And so the, these things got transferred to the entire community. The entire community took on, like, that was a comment that I saw a lot was like, are you willing to take on other people's debts? Well, yeah, that's what we're called to do. <laughs> I don't get that. I don't like, it's right there. Yeah, right there. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. They shared everything that they had. They, they sold their possessions and, and shared the money uh, with those in need. Um, I, I don't. I I don't see how we have lost the story so much that we cannot see how uh, forgiveness of of debt and taking on even ourselves a portion of that forgiveness of debt isn't a microcosm of the greater forgiveness that God provides. I, I mean, I'm just thinking of all of the unchurched and and unbelieving people who follow my wall are reading Christians saying, I don't want to be a part of helping in any way sacrifice for you to have it easier uh, economically and not think that people aren't going to want anything to do with your faith or your salvation. Right. I don't want your Bible or your God if you don't want me to not suffer in some way. Uh, How much of your paycheck are you going to give? Yeah, how much 
of my paycheck is mine anyway. The Bible teaches that 100% of everything you have is God's. None of it's mine. None of it's yours. If you believe, if, if, if you truly believe in God, but the problem is, I don't think we, we believe in the God of our imagining, the God whom we, we want to exist, not the God who is in black and white on the pages of scripture. Yeah. Well, that was a whole rich young ruler story, right? I think that's a parable for America. Don't sell everything. The American evangelical. Uh, yeah. Like it's mine. I earned it. Why do I have to give it all up? Um, I think, yeah, there's this, we, we, we put the American ideal, the American dream over and above Jesus's dream, Jesus's kingdom, Jesus's calling. I don't understand the, the difference between it, the two. It, you know, because this is a very pull myself up by my bootstraps mentality, which is completely anti-Jesus. Um, Jesus was not pull yourselves up by your bootstraps. In fact, he tells the disciples to not bring anything with them and let other people pay for you, right? Just carry your knapsack and people will provide for you. Like Jesus wasn't like, no, you got to go earn it all, all yourself and you got to, you know, do it yourself. Uh, so uh, that ideal, I think, is is at the core here with this argument is, well, I pulled myself up my bootstraps, but so everybody else has got to do it too. Um, but what happens when you're pulling your, your bootstraps and your bootstraps break, you can't put your shoes on, your shoes on and, you know, and, and you, you know, you can take that metaphor a lot of different places. And so I think as Christians, we're not like, we're not being very loving. Uh, I will say that. I, I, I think this attitude of not, I agree. Like that, if you, if not, you can't keep your mouth shut, if you believe that <laughs> better to, Better to keep your mouth shut than to open it and be thought a fool. Uh, yeah. And if you look at it practically, it's it's ten grand. Come on, like for most of us with with student loan debt, that 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 doesn't make m- much of a hill of a difference. And and so you know, it's 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 interesting. Like, what if it was the fifty grand that people were throwing out there, like, or just completely forgiving all of it i mean you want to dive into that it, the hypocrisy of well trump forgave the ppe loans right and so that was okay but now that biden is forgiving some loans even less than what trump forgave that's not okay and yeah and you look well, that, that was that, my that, point if, if a different president had or a different party had had done this would your opinion have changed and most people would say no but they're lying <laughs> they're lying their opinion would have totally changed oh, i yeah. i i just i just matt i that this could have been a win for the church theologically and practically this could have been a win for church people to have stood up and said whenever this happened it's not enough for people are in greater debt let's let's go more let's do further what can we do uh, we know that we're going to have to give a few cents, you know, out of our income, you know, maybe towards this. I don't, I don't even know if anything will, but I, this could have been an opportunity for the church to have stood up and said, wow, we are a people who, whose entire theology is based on forgiveness. Even if you don't believe that debt forgiveness or transference or any of that, no matter what you believe about forgiveness of debt, you believe in forgiveness of sins. Uh, and you know, for people whose entire theology is built on the idea of forgiveness to be able to stand up and say, Hey, 
we're, we're built on forgiveness. This is really cool that forgiveness is happening to you. Uh, and just stop. Yeah. No matter what, but just, just shut up after that. This yeah. is really cool that some forgiveness is happening for you. And, and you know what? God would have smiled. Yeah. Uh, people would have smiled, but instead, yeah, we're, we're, I, we've lost the story. We've yeah. lost the story. And we've lost, yeah. we've lost our ability to be a good witness in the world. Um, people see it, it, you know, people that aren't even in the church or, you know, Christians, if you will, know the story of forgiveness and they see this and they're like, that doesn't line up. That doesn't jive. Um, and so it's interesting that, you know, people outside the church, I've seen call the church to task. And I think, the more we dive in our roots into a political system like the Republicanism, which seems to be where most evangelicals are and will continue to be, it, the more we're going to lose our Christian witness because the more you're going to be manipulated to change your Christian values for the party platform, which has been their whole goal from the start. You know, if you look at it historically, the whole goal was to unified the evangelical church used to not be unified in one party there was there was democratic evangelicals and it was pretty split 50 50 and then republican party realized that that was bad politically so let's unify the evangelical base and use them to vote and so over time they've just continued to lead the evangelicals to vote for their party platform and it's sad and it, and it hurts it hurts the church uh as we move in the world well, you know, when the when when the unchurched world is looking at the church and its actions and saying, "What the hell is wrong with you?" I it it is it should be a wake up call to say, "Are are we are we really who we're supposed to be?" Yeah. It's, um. It's sad and disheartening, but uh, I think our job, um, I know you have presence online. I, I have a presence here in my local community is to help just kind of lead people to, to Christ and what he's called us to do. I think kind of figuring out how to help people recenter their lives around Jesus, even in the way in which they live in the world and operate in the world uh, beyond just a, a salvation of, of from hell kind of thing. Um, it's, uh, it's important that we enter into this, these discussions. I, I, I know we talked about it last time, but like, I think it, I think pastors and leaders need to step up and, and start having discussions, even though it can be fearful and cause anxiety when people disagree with you and, and all of those things. Um, we yeah, felt that pastors, pastors and, and people of faith have to have to not remain silent in the face of all this jacked theology. Um, it's, you know, Jesus said, my words, my, my teachings will be divisive. They're, they will divide families. They'll divide brother against brother. Um, that doesn't mean that we want to be divisive, but whenever you begin following and speaking and thinking and acting like Jesus did, you're going to, you're going to create some clear division, uh, among people. 
And interestingly, the people who you're going to be divided against aren't usually the unchurched. It's going to be the people who are deeply churched and baptized in a theological system and belief and practice system that is not, that is not of Christ. Yeah. And you don't have to be perfect at it. You're going to make mistakes. Um, You are going to have moments that you regret, but I think the more you interact, the more you get out there and all the platforms, the more you learn how to just interact better. And, and so there's only one way to start, just start uh, and lead. I, I, I think you have to be online. I know there's folks that are like, oh, I can't, that's impersonal. No, but that's where the world lives right now. And so I think that's yeah, a big mistake. It's, it's, it's pastoral malpractice to not, yeah. to not be online and to not be in the conversation. How you do it, I think, is where the differences come in. But you, you, you can't be absent. You can't hide behind the pulpit for an hour on Sunday and really believe that you're pastoring people or that you're leading. Exactly. Cause let's be honest, most now the average of church attendance is probably once a month, 12 times a year. At best, the, the yeah. most committed people are, are one are, are once every four to six weeks. And you, th- you think that, you know, them watching Tucker Carlson every night, you're going to compete with that. No, you got to get, you no. got to go where they're at. You got to go where they're at and you got to be online. You got to, that's why we're trying this sort of thing and just got to do it. So it's been a busy week. It has it's been a lot, but we covered a lot today. Pretty good. So. All right. Well, yeah. until next week. Thanks for watching.